And we're in this series called Better, right? The promise of the Holy Spirit. And this promise of the Holy Spirit is so incredible because we're looking at, we kind of started this series at the beginning of the year because we're looking at our lives and trying to figure out, okay, everybody's trying to make their life better. How can we make, how can we, how can we understand what God's idea of better is? Because most of us are reevaluating how life is going and we're trying to figure out how to make the new year work and that revolves a lot around diet and exercise and, you know, and, and career strategies. But as great as New Year's resolutions can be, most of you are done with them. <laughs> most of you, when you show up at the gym, the gym is back to normal as, as all the people trying to lose holiday weight are gone. And so... What if the power to make your life better isn't really found in establishing new habits? But it's found in the new life of the Spirit of God. Look at what Jesus said in John 16, 7. It says, but I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go away. For if I may not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go on, I will send him to you. These are the words of Jesus. And he, he says life would be better for his disciples if he left. And so that he could send them this gift, this promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And so what does the promise of something better actually mean for us today? Well, look at Look at uh, John 14, 12. It says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Whoa, wait a minute. Here in this verse, Jesus is making one of the most shocking statements in all of scripture. Do you just see it? There's two words to it. It's the word greater things. You should underline it in that verse. Greater things than these. Jesus said that anyone who has faith in him would do greater things than he did. Now think about that. Greater things than Jesus. The greatest man who ever lived. We will do greater things than Jesus? <laughs> that does not compute for me. I'm sure it didn't for the disciples either. Let me ask you a question. How are you living your life? See, I think most of us aren't in danger of ruining our lives. We're in danger of wasting our lives. I think most of us are in danger of living our lives less than our potential. I just think every one of us have areas of our lives where we, we've settled. We've settled. We, areas where we've decided that good enough is just good enough. But listen to me. This morning, I want you to think about something. God hasn't called us as believers in Jesus Christ to merely survive this world. God hasn't called us to just plod along in our daily routine waiting for the day that we die. That's not what God's called us to. There's more to our existence and our purpose than that. As a matter of fact, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit that distinguishes you and me from the rest of the world. Without the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, there's, this is nothing more than a club that you and I are part of where we're, we rally behind moral and theological concepts. But listen, that's not at all what Christianity is about. Christianity is not a philosophical religion. Christianity is not a self-help belief. Christianity is all about power. 
It is all about power and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. And it's this indwelling of God through the Holy Spirit that makes you as a Christian different from any other religionists here on earth. You're different from all of them. Judaism, Islam, Buddhism. None of these religions claim that their God inhabits them. The leaders of those belief systems may try to proselytize with their doctrine and their beliefs, but the gospel of Jesus Christ offers something different, uniquely different. Faith in Jesus makes you a walking miracle who has been changed through the Holy Spirit, personally dwelling inside you. Jesus said in John 14, 16, he says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be, what does it say? In you. Remember that word helper in the Greek means parakletos, which means comforter, intercessor, advocate, the one who comes alongside of. See, that's the role of the Holy Spirit for you and for me. He comes alongside of us and helps us in our life. He wants to come alongside of you as your advocate so that you can live your life beyond what you can do in your own strength. If you want to listen to an awesome message about that, you can go to onechapel.com and listen to the first message in this series. It's called The Helper. And I think you should listen to it. Listen to this series because, listen, Jesus was so excited to tell his disciples to be able to, that they, that they were going to receive something, a gift, the Holy Spirit. You know, one of the things that's so hard for me as a pastor is hearing all the heart-wrenching situations that people find themselves in. Everything from losing a job to experiencing the unexpected death of a loved one, from being sexually abused to being addicted to drugs or alcohol or other vices, from going through a horrific, hostile divorce to being kicked out of your house at age 16. I've just heard it all. The list goes on and on and on. And we live in a world where Satan's number one goal is to destroy our lives. And so when we are confronted with people who have such desperate needs, what are we supposed to do? Because I don't know about you, but there are times that I don't know what to pray or how to pray. And it's in those critical situations that I quickly come to the end of my own abilities and I feel deeply inadequate. And I realize that something more is needed, but more of what? More praise and worship songs? A better translation of the Bible? More sermons? <laughs> oh, Lord, not more sermons. More training in counseling? No, the reality is that we need, what we need most is the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Zechariah 4, 6 says it best. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. See, without the Holy Spirit's power, we'll never have enough of what we need to become the people God's called us to be. I want you to think about the city of Austin. You know, I love to look at the buildings downtown in Austin, especially at night when all the lights are on. 
And it's such a beautiful sight. And, you know, everything is, is kind of filled with people. And, and there's activities and ideas going on in those buildings and coming to pass. And, and, and to know that what is started in Austin actually not only affects our city, but affects the world. However, regardless of how influential Austin and its people can be, if the power grid goes down in Austin, the whole thing shuts down. Think about it. The office buildings become useless, the activity ceases, and the ideas die in darkness. Without power, all that potential is wasted. You know what? The same is true for you and me. For every believer, if we don't have access to spiritual power, then how can we accomplish what needs to be done? The power to overcome sin, the power to overcome spiritual enemies that attack us, the power to endure hardship and affliction, power to witness, power to speak, power to pray. See, I think our greatest need that we have today is for more spiritual power. And when you think about that, it's interesting that Jesus' final words before his ascension, before he went up into heaven, was about spiritual power. Here it is in Luke 24, 49. He says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Ooh. <laughs> That's a cool phrase. Clothed with power from on high. Sounds mysterious. Sounds pretty awesome. Think about the situation the disciples were in. They had been with Jesus who had risen from the dead. And for the first time, they finally understood the, the meaning. You have to understand that Jesus was thinking about something as he imparted these ideas to them. It's as if Jesus looked down the corridors of time. And he knew that even having the gospel message wouldn't be enough. He knew that we would face so many obstacles from our self-imposed strongholds. He knew that we would be fighting an enemy who wanted to kill, steal, and destroy us. He knew that we would never be able to evangelize the world effectively without the power that only the Holy Spirit can impart to us. I want you to understand how these disciples saw Jesus. They'd seen the nails in his hands. They had seen him ascend into heaven. And so imagine how badly they must have wanted to tell people about what they saw. Imagine, think of the excitement they finally felt and they, as they understood what good news really means, they felt the desperate spiritual state of those in Judea and Samaria and in Galilee as well as the rest of the world. And so they must have thought, we've got to get this evangelizing business started. Let's get the message out. We're waiting, wasting valuable time sitting up here in this upper room. And we might even think that Jesus agreed with this kind of thinking. That he'd say, okay, now that you've seen the nails, the marks in my hands, now that you know I'm alive, go out and preach the message. But Jesus didn't say that. Actually, he told them to do the exact opposite of what they were inclined to do. Just as so often we are inclined to do. He, Jesus told them to wait. 
Waiting is awkward. Waiting is hard. Waiting is challenging. See, Jesus knew far better than the disciples did that they needed to ch- what they needed to change the world was more than just having a sincere heart. Please understand, if we, if we move as, as Jesus followers, if we, just, if we just move from Jesus to doing stuff, we'll end up with a bunch of good works. We'll end up with a works mentality, a works of the flesh, and even a legalism if we just, if we just go from Jesus to doing stuff, to trying to make stuff happen. There's something in between that Jesus said, you've got to have. There's a link between Jesus and God's people in the church being activated. There's a link, and that link is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait. The Holy Spirit comes and then activates the church. That's what happened. And so they obediently did as Jesus said. Check it out in Acts 2, verse 1. He says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled, everybody say filled, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, The Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2 just as Jesus had promised them and just as the prophet Joel had predicted. His prophecy came true and Peter quotes Joel down a few verses in Acts chapter 2 when he says, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. In other words, this meant a new kind of ability was now available. And when you think about the first disciples of Jesus, they were a pretty ragged bunch of dudes. I mean, I mean, some of you know about Peter's failings as a disciple and, and you kind of you know, know something about Judas and his betrayal, but the, let's be honest, the rest of them, you know, they, they, they weren't that great either. <laughs> they weren't that much better. They weren't educated people. They weren't a part of an elite upper class. They, they weren't charismatic leaders. He asked fishermen and a despised tax collector to follow him. None of them had seminary training. As a matter of fact, Jesus purposely chose the men who weren't religious professionals. And so consider this. Why in the world would Jesus pick such a motley crew of men to be responsible for spreading the message throughout the world? Well, I believe one of the reasons why Jesus picked those men specifically was for the very reason that they lacked those natural resources. I think he did it on purpose. They didn't have the obvious gifts and talents that most people would look for in leaders who would be responsible for changing the world. They didn't have those gifts, and Jesus knew that these guys, because they didn't have those gifts, would have to rely on the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I wonder how many of us have that as our goal, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit instead of our own will, instead of our own power. But here's the great news, everybody. 
There's no place in scripture that says this kind of Holy Spirit help and power is not available to us today. It is available. It is God's plan. Why then does it seem like we don't see much of that power manifesting itself in our nation or in our generation or even in our own personal lives? Well, I think one of the reasons, one of the primary reasons we don't see it is, and this is hard to say, this is challenging, we don't really believe it. We kind of believe it, but not fully, not convincingly. So the question for you today, it's in your message notes, do you believe? Do you believe? If we don't ever, if we don't believe in that sort of supernatural power that comes from the Holy Spirit, here's the truth, we'll never experience it. Because one of the basic principles that Jesus laid down for us was, according to your faith, so it will be done. Check out Matthew 9.29. Are you guys still with me? Getting quiet in this Methodist church. Oh, my Methodist brothers and sisters, they are wonderful, beautiful. I love them, frozen chosen. So Matthew, oh, that's, never mind. I don't want to keep going. Matthew 9.29. It takes, listen, it takes all kinds So he takes all kinds in our city to draw people to himself, all kinds of people, all kinds of churches. Matthew 9, 29 says, then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you. According to your faith, it will be done. Unfortunately, I think so many of our traditions, some of our denominational doctrinal positions and our limited experiences with the Holy Spirit often rob us. We get robbed of expecting the Holy Spirit to move in and through his power. If you like to read, there's a, there's a great book called Surprised by the Holy Spirit by Jack Deere, who is a theology professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And in this book, he describes his own journey of being taught and fully believing and therefore teaching his own church and at Dallas Theological Seminary that God no longer heals and he no longer does supernatural miracles because that all ceased with the death of the apostles. But then he started being around people who had discovered that God still heals and that God still does supernatural miracles. And And he makes this comment in this book, page 14 and 15, he says, the real reason Christians do not believe in the miraculous gifts is simply because they have not seen miracles in their present experience. Yet no one openly admits that this is the cause of their unbelief. And that's why it's so imperative that we embrace the word of God. And it's, it, and it's so imperative that we place the word of God higher than our own traditions, our doctrinal positions, and our limited experiences. Because when we do that, Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you let go of your own traditions, the more you let go of your own doctrinal positions, and the more you let go of your, exper- your limited experiences, the more you embrace God's word, the more faith will rise in your life and the more Holy Spirit power you'll experience. You and I have to believe it fully. And I believe that's why when we see a life transformed like Tim and when we experience a healing like I did and when we, when we see that we hear about somebody getting healed on the bridge where people are praying, we need to grab a hold of it and say, yes, God, we want to see more of it. I want, your, I want to see your power on display. I think the second, I think the, 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 there's two reasons, two reasons that the Holy Spirit comes and helps us 
with his power, his power on display in our lives, I believe, I believe that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live holy. Holy. The Apostle Paul described it this way. He said, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, he says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a, what does it say? Oh, can you see it? Oh, they don't have it. Here it is. I was reading fast, wasn't I? So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I believe the NIV says a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Now look at this phrase. I, I want you to think about this phrase, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. What does that mean? The word power in the Greek is the word dunamis, which is mentioned over 120 times in the New Testament. And it means force or might or strength, literally power through God's ability. But it's interesting, isn't it? that the Apostle Paul continues in this letter. If you read the entire letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, you will find that he's not talking about all kinds of crazy miracles. Check this out. The subjects that Paul addresses over the next several chapters after he talks about a demonstration of the Spirit's power are divisions in the church in chapter 3. They couldn't get along with each other. Prideful attitudes towards others in chapter 4. Immorality in the church in chapter 5. Lawsuits among believers in chapter 6. They were suing each other. They're having sex with each other and suing each other. <laughs> These, this, you got to understand, this is the church that Paul planted. <laughs> And he's trying to help them discover something, marriage and singleness, and the challenges that, we've, that we face with both of those in chapter 7, and then in chapter 8, not being a stumbling block to a weak Christian. These are not subjects of the miraculous. They are principles of the mundane, the everyday. I would submit to you that these chapters contain descriptions of what Paul was talking about in a demonstration of the Spirit's power in everyday life. And this power is not only something that is displayed in miraculous mysteries, it definitely is, but it's also the in the daily grind of how we impact and how we interact and how we connect with others. This is Connect Group Sunday. There is nothing so common as a group of people that meet together in a little living room and through the semester start talking about spiritual things and then Something happens to the group. They disagree on some minor issues of Scripture. And then if they don't figure out, the power of the Holy Spirit is in all of them. To work through the process, to get along with each other, they get rigid. They get irritated. They get, they get rejected. And you end up with that group falling apart. Happens over and over and over again. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit the power of the Holy Spirit is for the purpose of learning how to love each other in a small group. You can love each other easy sitting right here 
with people sitting beside you that you don't really know. Yeah, I love your brother. Love your sister. Don't know anything about you. Your life never has to intersect with mine. I love you. I'm telling you, the power of the Holy Spirit is for you and I figuring out how to live together in the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace is what Ephesians 4 says. The power of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus prayed for in John 17 when he said, Father, make them one like you and I are one so that the world will believe. That's what Jesus was praying for. Look at Acts Chapter 1, verse 8, this is the promise. This is kind of the heart of this message. It says, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. I want you to get this, that the Holy Spirit gives power to be a witness. But a witness of what? What is a witness? Just think about it, just on the purely natural level, a person who testifies what they've seen or heard. They don't make up the story, they don't embellish the story, they just, actually the best witnesses just tell plainly what they saw or what they heard. So think about this, what's the best way to discredit a witness? Because there's something in, in our law, in, a, in American culture, called cross-examination. And when you cross-examine someone, what you're trying to do is you're trying to clarify what they've said it's the opposing lawyer coming up and either creating clarity about what was said or discounting what was said even by discrediting the mo- the motives of the witness or the integrity of the witness or some other dynamic where where it's obvious that that witness is not truthful Listen to me, One Chapel, the most common way we are discredited as witnesses of Jesus Christ is our testimony doesn't match our lifestyle. We can't get along with each other. We can't figure out how to love people who aren't like us. We can't figure out how to not get angry and all upset, so upset that we'll sue people. We can't control the 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 lusts of our flesh, so there's immorality. There's, there's so many things that the Holy Spirit's power is for you and for me, and it's available. It's what Craig Groeschel calls a Christian atheist. You know what a Christian atheist is? A person who believes in God but lives like he doesn't exist. You gotta live it out every day. The power of the Spirit is for every day. It's for every day, which leads to my final point. Why we don't see more of the Holy Spirit's power in action, we, we don't really speak up often enough. The power to be a witness is not only the power to live holy, but the power to speak boldly. The power to speak boldly. Look at Luke 4, 18 through 21. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now I want you to notice why the power of the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus. Verse 18, the the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? Because he has anointed me to what? To bring good news to the poor who have very little earthly hope. 
to free the prisoners who are bound by sin and by Satan, to recover the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to deliver the message of salvation that God wanted everyone to hear and experience. And that's why the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus so amazingly. Jesus could do it because he was anointed to do it. Guess what? Jesus told us we could do it. Remember? Greater things. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to empower the waiting disciples. Look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 6 through 13. He says, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans, that's, that's like saying, aren't all these people from Johnson City? <laughs> Sorry, did I go far enough? Did I go far enough away? Okay, good. Then how... He says, then how is it that each of us hears them in their our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them, underline it. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine. <laughs> Verse 11 says, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. You and I are called to declare the wonders of God, my friends. We are called to declare the wonders, to speak boldly about all the wonderful things God is doing, the New Living Translation says. If you want to be a witness about the wonders of God, people who need Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. Jesus called us to go into all nations, but that starts right in your neighborhood. If you're afraid to take that long trek across your own driveway and talk to those weird neighbors next door, if you're fearful to tell that coworker in the next cubicle about the wonders of God, guess what? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's for. So many people don't understand this. If you're not sure what to say because there's a bit of a cultural wall between you and someone else, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the right words. So you can speak clearly about how wonderful he really is. You see, the power of the Holy Spirit isn't just for you to experience God. It's for others to experience God. Don't keep it all bound up. And people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I get the Holy Spirit. It's just weird stuff. I, I don't want to be unrelatable. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you unrelatable. The Holy Spirit makes you the most relatable because he knows what that person needs to hear. And he can give you words you don't even know exactly what needs to be said and he's going to speak through you. That's what Acts chapter 2 is about. It's about others experiencing the power of God. It's not just for you. It's not just the power that stays inside of you. It's the power that flows through you to others. You become a witness through the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of others. The Holy Spirit wasn't given just so we could have exciting meetings or we could have all these great feel-good moments. That's not what it's for. It's true. Those are awesome moments and God does something in our hearts, but it can't stay there. 
It has to go. We have to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, too many of us are in this boat where we don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Do you know why? Because we are seldom doing what Jesus commissioned us to do. We are so seldom taking the risk, so seldom speaking up that we don't experience this power. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would empower us. Whenever you reach out with purpose to share the good news, whenever you're determined to help the spiritually blind to see, whenever you work to set the oppressed free, hey everybody, I know we're flawed. Jesus knows we're flawed. We're not perfect. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. I want you to, I want you to realize that today is group Sunday. And I, 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 think, I think being a part of a group, I think being part of a team, I think it's part of like a first step of willingness to engage with others who need what you might have. Oh, I don't have much to offer, Pastor Ross. It's okay, you do. You just don't know it yet. And so I want you to close your eyes, I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you today about his power. And we're gonna come to the Lord's table here, and we're just gonna, I want you to, I want you to see that Jesus is the one who delivers the truth of the resurrection power that raised him from the dead. You and I receive the power of God's spirit, which Romans 8, 11 says, that lives in us. It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Would you come and get in touch with that power today at this table, at this communion table? Jesus is welcoming you. Don't just go from Jesus straight to doing stuff. Wait and receive the Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you now and we just want to understand. We want to hear your voice. We want to we repent of being re self-reliant and we want to repent of being even lazy and, 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 our, and our own weakness being the, the sort of the dominant theme of our lives instead of relying on your power. Would you come and speak to us, charge us up, change us, work in us, Lord, we pray, as we receive from you the bread of life representing your body, as we receive from you that cup, the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Heal us and forgive us here in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.